Christchurch, New Malden, 10th November 2019, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking on Keeping the Conversation Going When We Feel Forsaken by God. Well, I think there probably is no worse experience to go through than feeling deserted or forsaken by someone, particularly if that is someone that you thought was there to protect and support you. Now, it happens in many forms, doesn't it? One of the toughest experiences that any child can have is being deserted by someone at school, for instance, who was previously their friend. Someone that they've trusted and perhaps confided in, and someone to whom they're therefore really vulnerable. Now, some of you here will know how difficult it is to support a child when they're in the middle of that sort of experience. And of course, some people here will have been through it yourselves. And then, of course, there's the desertion, really tragically, that some people, plenty of people, experience in marriage or in similar relationships, which is obviously horrendously damaging and painful. But it happens in other parts of life as well. It happens in friendships between adults. It happens sometimes within our working lives, sometimes within our families as well. As human beings, we are inherently relational, aren't we? We're made to be in community with one another, and that's why any form of desertion cuts so deep within us. But it's even worse when those feelings or experiences are exacerbated by feeling deserted or forsaken by God. If you've sought to follow God and make him part of your life, and that life then starts to collapse, it's the most natural thing in the world to then feel rejected or forsaken by him. The Bible says that God loves us. It says that he's there to be our protector and saviour. And yet very often he seems the precise opposite, doesn't he? All of us, I think, who've sought to follow God in our lives will, if we're honest, have had moments in those lives, perhaps many times, when we felt deserted or forsaken by him. And we're doing this series here at the 9.30 service precisely to speak into that experience. We're looking, as Tim said, at a number of psalms in the Old Testament where the writers keep the conversation going with God through the most negative of circumstances. And this week, and we had it read to us, it's Psalm 22, and keeping the conversation going when we feel forsaken by God. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous psalm in the Bible, isn't it? The Lord's my shepherd. But arguably, it's Psalm 22 that should be. And as I said last week, if you were here, the value of all of the psalms that we're looking at in this series is the way in which they show that expressing complete honesty about our disappointment, our frustration, and our upset with God isn't the opposite of faith in God. It's actually a vital part of it. Because that's what we see in Psalm 22. One of the great things about the Psalms is that when we're struggling for words to speak to God, the Psalms give those words to us. And what we see in Psalm 22, like all of the Psalms that we're looking at in this series, is an amazing combination of honesty about how distraught the writer is, the combination of that with a faith 
that perhaps because of that honesty is then able to cling on to God and hold, of, hold on to hope through the despair that they feel. So it starts with the most amazing frankness. Look at the first line. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day and you do not answer by night and am not silent. And what it shows us, because otherwise it wouldn't be in the Bible, is that it's okay to speak to God like this. He is big enough to take it. God knows that the call to faith that he makes to us is really difficult, and part of the deal, therefore, is that we're allowed to complain and even rail at God for the many times when he feels conspicuous by his absence. He's meant to be a God of salvation, isn't he? He's meant to be a God of rescue, a God who answers prayer, and so it's totally fair enough to pour out our complaint to God when we feel that he's being the very opposite of those things. And that's the reality for the writer of this psalm. He feels utterly small and insignificant and is surrounded by mockery and scorn, specifically as that uh, verse or that set of verses that are up there at the moment show. He was surrounded by people who mocked him for trusting in God and God's deliverance. And what's more, the various enemies and opponents that surrounded the psalmist, they appeared to have completely won because he uses incredibly vivid imagery to describe them. So look at this next section. Many bulls surround me, he says, roaring lions, tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it's melted away within me. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men have surrounded me and they've pierced my hands, it should say, and my feet. The content here I don't think is meant to be taken necessarily literally. It's metaphor. The writer is reaching for every single image that he can find to express how totally deserted and forsaking he feels. And if you were given full reign to pour out your own frustrations and difficulties, your anger and your pain before God, I wonder what metaphors you would choose. Here are three pictures coming up on a screen that uh, express it more visually. And I wonder which one of them will connect most with the times when you have felt forsaken. So the first picture coming up now is literally a desert, a deserted place where no one lives and where everything is dried up and dead. Perhaps that image does resonate uh, with how you might have felt at the parts of your life, indeed, you might be feeling now when you felt most forsaken. The second image coming up here is of someone having to walk alone through, through the darkness. And the third image is of someone so abandoned and alone that they can't bear to show their face. And those are just three visual ways of summing up how the writer of Psalm 22 feels as he seeks to relate to God, utterly abandoned and forsaken. And yet, he still clings on to God, doesn't he? 
All of this honesty about how he feels doesn't result in him abandoning God. Part of the reason for this lies in his belief expressed in verses like these, that everything uh, they've experienced doesn't deny that he is almighty God and he's there to deliver his people. Those are the verses that express this. But it's also expressed in these verses, where in the middle of declaring how forsaken he feels, the writer speaks still of God creating him and making him trust in God. From birth, he says, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. You get the impression when you read this psalm that the writer is really struggling to express all of this because at his lowest ebb, these feel like very distant truths. But it's all of this. The complete honesty about feeling forsaken and the cling-on at all costs faith that then leads to the heartfelt prayer that we see towards the end of this psalm. This prayer up on the screen at the moment for deliverance to come from God. And once that prayer gets going, we see it turn into the most amazing and emphatic statement of God's power. God's power to reverse all of the injustice and all of the awfulness within this world. So what is this psalm saying to us this morning, sitting here, particularly if we're feeling a little bit or perhaps a great deal, forsaken by God. What this psalm is saying is speak out that hurt and frustration to God. What this psalm is saying is pour it out to God, complain to God on the basis that he is a God of justice and love and therefore has to act. And as you do that, you'll actually be making an enormous declaration of faith in God You'll be making an enormous declaration of faith in the God of justice and the God of love who does act to rescue his people. You see, the one type of prayer does lead to the other. We don't only pour out our complaints to God if we really believe that he's a God of justice and love. And we only pour out our complaints to God really on that basis. Otherwise, we'd be wasting our breath. Expressing these complaints to God, as I say, is an act of faith in him and an act of faith in his character. And it's that that then leads us very often to the most passionate and committed prayer. And there is one other thing, and it's a pretty major thing about this psalm that can further encourage us, and it's this. Tim mentioned it earlier. The God whom we're praying to experienced all of these feelings to the full when he came in Jesus Christ. As a lot of you will have realised when we had the psalm read, and as I say, Tim mentioned it as well, the writers in the New Testament, when they tell the story of the death of Jesus, they tell that story through the lens of this psalm. Psalm 22 is in mind throughout as Matthew, Mark and Luke in particular, tell the story of the death of Jesus. The most obvious bit is the first line, isn't it? When Jesus is crucified, 
Jesus cries out, it's actually his last spoken words in Matthew and Mark, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A direct quote from Psalm 22. But it's not the only one. There are lots of deliberate parallels uh, with Psalm 22 throughout uh, the gospel accounts of the death of Jesus. So the mocking that Jesus received. There at the top is the part of Psalm 22 when it talks about all the mockery uh, received by the writer of that psalm. But just look at the parallel with how the death of Jesus is described. Psalm 22 is being evoked all the way through that passage. And even the crucifixion itself. You'll know that when people were crucified, they had nails driven through their hands and their feet. And of course, that reflects that part of Psalm 22 that speaks about the writer's hands and feet being pierced. And then there's that further bit about the writer's enemies dividing his garments between them and drawing lots for his clothing. That's reflected in those Roman soldiers doing that while Jesus was on the cross. So why are all of these parallels made? Well, all of these details are trying to tell us that Jesus himself fulfilled to the fullest degree what this psalm was speaking about. By experiencing the most profound tension possible between feeling utterly deserted and forsaken by God and yet clinging on in faith to him. And while Jesus, at the point that he was crucified, couldn't see it, the result of all of this, according to the Gospels, was Jesus' resurrection. God acting in power three days later to raise Jesus from the dead. And the reason why the resurrection is the most important truth in the entire Bible is because it's the advance sign, the definitive sign of God's future triumph over everything evil within the world. The resurrection is the rock-solid promise to us from God that if we keep faith in him, particularly when it feels that he's completely forsaken us, we'll make it through the desert. We'll make it through the darkness. We'll make it through those times when it feels that he's completely abandoned us. You see, the truth is, however it feels sometimes, God has never actually forsaken us. God has never actually abandoned us. The crucifixion of Jesus and its use by the Gospel writers of the words of Psalm 22 to tell the story of Jesus' death show that just as God the Father hadn't, whatever it looked like, abandoned Jesus on the cross, so God never abandons us. God wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to be totally honest about our hurts and our struggles and to appeal to him to act as a God of justice and a God of love, because that's what he's promised he is. And the reason why he wants us to do this is because, as I say, these actions are ones that display faith and trust in him. And like the writer of Psalm 22, and like God's Son, Jesus Christ, and because of what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross, God solemnly promises to all his followers, that he will bring us through the darkness, the desert, 
of feeling forsaken by him to the point where we're totally rescued and saved by him. God calls us to walk by faith in him, to keep the conversation going, to be committed to being in relationship with him through the good times and through the tough times. And God, for whatever reason, does call us to sometimes go through periods in our lives where we do feel forsaken, where we do feel abandoned by others and perhaps by him as well. But the story of Jesus performing the greatest act of selfless giving that ever took place shows us that actually when we feel forsaken, God is there with us. And God, as this psalm shows, wants us to continue having a commitment of faith in him because he's promised that future vindication. He's promised that future day when he will destroy everything that's evil, everything that's oppressive, everything that spoils and defaces life. And between now and then, he calls us to walk with him in the times of happiness and the times of darkness as well. And when we cry out to God and we complain and uh, we bring before him the difference between our experience and his justice, we're actually never displaying more fully our faith and our trust in him. Amen.